Well, today we begin our series in the book of Jonah, our summer series, and we've titled it Jonah and the Great Adventures in the Deep, this fantastic story of epic proportions. And whether you're a believer in Jesus uh, and have been for a long time, whether you're new to faith or exploring the faith, you're probably familiar with the story of the prophet Jonah and his adventures in the belly of the great fish, or you may even heard in the belly of a whale. But I want to challenge us that this is bigger than just maybe a children's story and take the spirit of the African theologian, St. Augustine, when he said that, you know, things of salvation and those things are easy to understand and can follow in scripture. But he says this, but if he thinks to solve all such questions as those about Jonah, he little knows the limitations of human life or his own. And as well, on top of that, uh, in the classic Moby Dick, the novel Moby Dick, the fictional character, uh, the preacher, he says this to the sailors about Jonah. Shipmates, this book containing only four chapters, four yarns is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cables of the scriptures. Yet what depths of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What a pregnant lesson to us is this prophet. What a noble thing is that canticle in the fish's belly. How billow-like and boisterously grand. It's just a reminder that there's great depths to this story that consists of only those four chapters, a mere 48 verses. And I want to challenge us in this summer series through July that we read each chapter and we get as much out of it that we can, whether it's a, a family devotion, a personal devotion, or if you're watching the services in your small group or hosting uh, house church, I encourage you to do so, to read it together, to be challenged and refined uh, through the depths of this story. Each week, we're going to kind of take a look at one emotion, a deep emotion that we can tackle, a deep emotion or even an action that's tied with Jonah. And today, we're going to look at the deep hiding that we do from God when we feel like running away. And as we unpack this, we're going to look at three aspects today. First, kind of the unusual calling given to Jonah, the unusual response given by Jonah, and the unusual hero we find in this story. So the unusual calling, the unusual response, and the unusual hero. So first, the unusual calling. Verse 1 and 2 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Such a short and simple two verses, but so rich in meaning. So for all our children and students, our younger people, I want to ask you a question, even now we can interact. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? You can share that answer uh, to your parents or friends or uh, anyone else you're with, or you can actually interact in the chat room or in the comment section. What do you want to be when you grow up? And for all our older people, uh, think back when you were younger. What did you want to be when you grew up? What is that one thing that you wanted to be? And I'll interact with you. So uh, I'll even ask Don, our cameraman, what do you want to be? Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, yeah, I wanted to be uh, a pilot. Pilot. Yeah. That's great. So for me as well, uh, I wanted to be a pilot when I was younger. And uh, when I got to about fifth grade, I told everyone that I, I actually wanted to be an architect. Uh, all fun things. 
Uh, probably we have a lot of different answers of what we wanted to be or what we want to be when you grow up. But what if I reframe the question a little bit uh, more around calling? What are you called to? That can be a little bit more difficult. See, calling carries a little bit more of a, a weight. What do you want to shape your life around to have purpose and meaning? What are you called to? For some of us, maybe that answer is simple and clear, but I'm willing to guess that many of us, that question is a little bit unknown. And we might even have prayed to God, God, tell me what my calling in life is. Show me. For Jonah, it was actually a little more simple. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And in the Old Testament, uh, that usually references that God himself came to reveal himself to Jonah. Oh, how many of us dream for that kind of clarity in our lives, God to show us. God, if you could just give me a sign, show me what I'm supposed to do. If you could just come down and tell me exactly what my next step is. You know, where, where, what college should I go to? What major should I choose? Where should I live? What job should I take? Who should I date? Who should I marry? We would think it'd be so easy if God could just show us real clearly what that next step is. But Jonah shows us otherwise. What if that clarity and calling that, uh, that you were wanting was in complete opposition to what was core to who you were? That the calling and clarity that God gave you is actually in opposition to the core of who you were. See, the very city that Jonah was called to, to go preach against, was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And that may not mean much to you and I, but for Jonah, it meant everything. See, for an Israelite at the time, like Jonah, it would have been unheard of to go share with the Assyrians. See, the Assyrians were bitter enemies of the Israelites. And during the time of Jonah, the 8th century BC, the Assyrians were especially cruel during that time. They were known for their cruelty and violence in the region. And in that point in history, no prophet of Israel had ever gone beyond its borders to share God's message. They had spoken against neighboring nations, but no one had gone to them. So in some sense, Jonah was the first missionary prophet. And on top of this, Jonah had a reputation in Israel that he was a strong nationalist, that he was uh, known to communicate his national identity. And he spoke against and in support of Israel's military campaigns, especially against the Assyrians, to preserve Israel in, against their enemies. See, this unusual call from God came with a great cost. See, Jonah would have to sort of betray his own stance, his own words, maybe even his own loyalty to his country or how people perceived it from the outside and even possibly betray his very own heart. See, many of you know that Aaron and I, before coming to Ward, I've shared this many times, uh, that we served on the field, that we were missionaries abroad. And while we were raising support to go abroad, uh, we had many coffees, many lunches, many dinners, many, many meals, uh, where we would share about the vision that God had put on our hearts. And the most common question I got, uh, less about the culture and what I will be doing, uh, this common question kept coming up over and over again. It said this, why would you go and help there when there's so many people in need 
here, right here. I got this question over and over and over again. And it's actually a very valid question. And some of you may have asked it when you heard about people going abroad, either on a short-term trip or a long-term. And in that moment, as I sat with people, I really tried to convey the idea of calling. It was a calling that drew us towards those people and that mission, that drew us as a new family with a new newborn child that we were called to go. And the best way I could explain it was the idea of marriage. I know that God calls all of us to love all people, but I feel like I was, I've been especially called, specifically called to love Aaron, my wife. See, it's beyond choice or preference, but I'm compelled by the call of God to do so. See, when we begin to take seriously the call of God, no matter how unusual it may be, the cost will continually go up and in some ways, very unexpectedly. And I would say this, no matter how unusual the calling might be, no matter the price the calling may ask of you, no matter the reputation you may have to uh, leave aside, we must not be apathetic, but we must respond. See, we have this unusual calling, but then there's this unusual response by Jonah. Verse three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, in the original Hebrew, God's calling was more of a rise up, rise and go to Nineveh. But in a complete reversal, Jonah runs away from the Lord south to Joppa. See, look at the trajectory of Jonah's response. Instead of rising up and going north to Nineveh, he goes further and further down. He goes down to Joppa on a ship, further distancing himself from God and toward Tarshish. And while on the boat itself, he goes further down to the belly. But even then, it's not far enough. Eventually, he's thrown into the sea and goes further down to the depths of the water. It's a physical illustration of the life that is summarized by just the very first seven words of the verse we just read. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Jonah ran away from the Lord. See, we all run away in different ways. We have the way of the Ninevites and we have the way of Jonah, both leading to a life apart from God. And it's always easy to see the sin of the Ninevites. See, their wickedness and evil are their proud reputations. They flaunt their disdain for God and his holy ways. They scoff at the scriptures and the morality that it taunts. And as long as you have Ninevites in your life, those people you can judge, condemn, and even pity, you never really have to examine your own heart. And that's what Jonah did. At least I'm not like the Ninevites. At least I'm not like them. And you've heard this throughout history because it echoes in the chambers of everyone's heart and maybe your heart and mine as well. See, the way of Jonah is a little bit more subversive. You still get to keep your reputation among your friends and family. You still get to show off your piety and morality, uh, especially on Sundays. And you still get to hold prejudiced views towards people that don't measure up to your very own standards. Jesus shares a great story in the New Testament in Luke 15. See, Jesus, Jesus shares this famous story of two brothers that reveal to us two ways of brokenness and sin. Uh, 
one brother runs away and squanders all that he has. And the scripture says he lived a wild life. Wild living is what he spends his money on. The other remains at home is faithful and obedient to the father. And eventually the money runs out for the younger brother and he comes home with all humility and comes to the father expecting very little in return. Yet the father lavishly pours out grace and acceptance to the younger brother, his youngest son. And you think the story would end there, right? The futility of living a life apart from God and the grace the father gives. But the story continues. It says the older brother, when he heard about the father's response, actually got super, super angry. He got so angry that he wouldn't even come into the party. And listen to the response that he gives uh, when he hears about the party happening because of the younger brother. It says in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. In this older brother moment, the heart of Jonah is exposed. See, while on the outside he looked every part of the dutiful and faithful son, his heart was misplaced. New Testament scholar and theologian James Edwards says this, What Jonah detests in Nineveh is present in himself. If only Jonah can see that his heart is as contrary to God as is the heart of Nineveh. The Nineveh heart is easy to identify. But the question for us today is how has the heart of Jonah made itself present in our hearts? How has the heart of Jonah made itself alive in our very own hearts today? Where have we run away from God? What prejudices do we harbor that have prevented us from fully living out uh, God's command to love him and his neighbors, regardless of ethnicity, culture, or background, whatever barriers in your life, in your community? What's prevented us from loving them? Young people cling to the mission of loving all people whether it's the person who bullies you, the outcast in your class, those you disagree with, even those who would harm you, don't back away from the love of the gospel. Older people, I challenge you to examine your very own heart. Where have you run away from God? Where have you run away from God and have been hiding in the church? See, in our church, we can hide with people that look like us, think like us, and make us feel comfortable See, we want to run away from the Ninevites. But rather, let us be the church. Rather, let us be the church that runs towards Nineveh with the message of hope and salvation. And not that we've saved ourselves, but where we cling to the promise that we find in Scripture, where God himself says, I will give you a new heart. Because I know you can't fix yourself. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's nothing in you that can want to love the Ninevites. But I can do it if you just trust me. If the world has you discouraged, displaced, or distraught, do not lose heart. The Lord fills you with grace, but so much more than just bringing you comfort. 
If you find yourself in the valley, God wants to give you grace, but so much more than give you comfort. He wants to breathe boldness and bravery and power to bring restoration and hope to all people across all barriers. And I can't think of a better time in all of history that the church needs to respond by the power of his spirit. See, this gospel message is both for the Jew and the Gentile, for the sinner and the saint, for the saved and the lost, for all peoples. The gospel is supposed to be proclaimed to all peoples where every square inch declares the glory of God. Let us take heart. Let us take root in that power. And as we looked at the unusual calling, the unusual response by Jonah, let us look at the unusual hero we find in this story. Verse 4. That the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The story gets more dire for Jonah. The foolishness of his mission to run away from God must have been comical uh, to the original readers of Jonah and probably even to Jonah himself if he was in a better state of mind. But that's what sin does. It hides things and manipulates things. It's the same thing that happened when sin blinded Adam and Eve when they try to hide from God. And when Moses tried to hide the, the Egyptian that he murdered, when he tries to hide that from God, it actually convinces us that we can get away with it. Just the other day, I was coming in from doing yard work outside uh, and I came into the living room where three of my children were and I look at Abigail, my four-year-old, and she has this kind of uh, look on her face. So I walk up and as I'm walking up, I notice that she has an ice cream cone behind her back. And I say behind her back loosely, she has short arms, so it's more like at her side. And I can clearly see it. And I ask her, uh, did you get another ice cream cone? Because I told her before, you can have one, don't get another one. And she looks at me, deadpan right in the eyes and says, no, as I can clearly see the ice cream cone. And I wonder if that's what God feels like sometimes when we try to hide from him. The silliness of it all. Jeremiah 23, 24 says this, who can hide in secret places so that cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill the earth, heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Yet the cycle of hiding continues. Jonah thought he could hide in the boat below deck, but God found him. And in the middle of the storm, the captain comes below deck, even with all his misplaced intentions about who God is, and reminds Jonah of his calling. He says, get up, arise and call on your God. Arise and call on your God. Arise and go. And as we read earlier, Jonah is thrown overseas. The raging seas begin to grow calm. Next week, you get to hear about that famous part of the story with Jonah uh, in the belly of the fish. But I want to close 
this time with a reminder of the unusual hero because he's not easily found in this passage. You may think it's Jonah, you may think it's the captain, but the hero shows up many years later. Many, many years later, another man who was found sleeping below deck while a raging storm surrounded the boat. And this, name, this man's name was Jesus. And he came down not fleeing the Father, but in complete obedience to him. And he came down to reconcile and restore both the heart of the Ninevite and the very heart of Jonah. But only through his self-sacrifice is grace given to calm the storms of life. It's only because we have a hero like Jesus, nothing like the prophet Jonah, who didn't care about his outward appearance, who didn't care about his reputation in the world, but he cared about the broken hearts in each of us. And what this unusual hero did is he laid down his life so that we could have new life with him. See, let us never lose sight of the amazing, astounding, eternally unusual story that God himself came down so that we could be grafted with him and lifted. Uh, there's nothing like this story in all of history or the world that God would choose you to mend your broken heart and breathe the new life he has. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for the goodness of who you are. God, that in all things we trust you and look to you. And Lord, we know there's things in us that break us, things in us that drag us down, things in us that take our eyes off you. But in all things, may your spirit draw us deeper into your grace. And Lord, there are moments where we run away. There's moments we hide and there's moments that we try to uh, distract ourselves from the reality of the world. But God, by your spirit, may you empower us to walk boldly into this new life, new lives that you draw us by grace, draw us by love, and draw us even in the midst of the storms of this life. Father, all this is possible only because of your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen.